Hear the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit And that you should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The word of the true vine. Let us pray together. Lord, we ask you, even now, to grant that we will depend upon you, that we will abide in you, even as we've been commanded in this passage, to explore even further what it means to abide in Christ, who is the true vine. Lord, how we thank you that you provide yourself to us as our life, that you give yourself so freely that you are ours for the taking. Your life and your fruitfulness, your joy, your love is ours for the taking. Grant, Lord, that we will. Grant. For we read here, Lord, that you had appointed, you chose and appointed these disciples that they would bear fruit and that their fruit would abide. Lord, it is only in your initiative in our life, it is only in your power and grace to us that we can ever then spring forth with life. For we are dead and barren and dry and fruitless apart from you. Bless us, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
When Jesus uses this phrase, the true vine, he's likely drawing a contrast with himself and Israel. Because in the Old Testament, Israel many times, for instance, in Psalm 80 and Jeremiah 5, is referred to as a vine that God had planted. But interestingly, every time Israel is spoken of as a vine in the Old Testament, God underscores the fact that it was a fruitless vine, a vine that did not produce the fruit of character and love and worship that it was supposed to. And so in contrast to that, even as Jesus again and again has been saying, there was the manna in the Old Testament, but I'm the true bread of life. There was the temple in the Old Testament, but now I am the temple. This constant contrast of the life that you had and the light that you had in the desert, but now I am your life. I am the light of the world. So he contrasts himself with Israel, the the vine. And it's interesting that it's not the church that is the vine. You might think that it would be Israel the vine in the church because the people in the people. But many times in the scriptures, in the gospels, Jesus comes as the new Israel to replant the people of God as the foundation stone and the true root and life of the new people of God. And then in him, they now have that life that they did not have in, in, in the main in Israel. And so now the true vine has come. True life and fruitfulness will spring forth from this vine in contrast to the vine of the Old Testament. So there's great expectation here and great provision and simply then our trust in Him as this vine. And the Father being the vine dresser shows that Christ is the one who mediates or brings about the life that the vine dresser wants. It is the Father who is bringing about this fruitfulness, but He brings it about through the vine of His own Son, who becomes life for the people of God. And along those lines, we might say in verse 9, He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And the love that is given to Christ is then conveyed to us through the Son. So whatever life is conveyed to us or whatever love comes to us comes ultimately through the fa- from the Father, but through the Son. So the very love that the Father has for the Son, the Son then conveys the Father's love in a very personal and intimate way as the God-man to us. And then also, of course, as the, the Father loves Him as the head of the church, what is so necessary to us because His love being poured out completely into Christ, it's for the sake of what? That it might be poured out to us. And just always realize that, that every time you see the Father loving the Son, it's for the point that we will receive that love. That love is given to Him in order that it might be given to us. The end is in view that He may look upon us as pleasing, that we may embrace and taste the Father's love. That's something of what it means that He is the vine dresser. That this doesn't remove Him from us, it just means that He draws 
to us in the most intimate way through the vine of the Son. And His love that He imparts to the Son is then poured out and replenishes our lives. How glorious that the Father paints this picture of intimacy with us. Two things I want to uh, touch on in terms of this vine. First is simply abiding and dependence, then abiding and love. First of all, abiding, and I want to underscore the nature of this abiding as dependence, helpless dependence. And then secondly, as we begin to, well, actually the first uh, basically six to eight verses have to do with the analogy of the fruit and the vine. And then verses nine and following are kind of exposition or enlargement. What does this really mean to depend upon him? In what way are we depending upon him? And there's, there's where love comes to the forefront. Uh, but love is not mentioned in the first eight verses, but it just saturates the, the rest of the chapter because it shows that love has everything to do with this abiding. But first, abiding and dependence, then abiding and love. One thing that is underscored again and again in these first verses is the fact that whereas abiding in him you produce much fruit, he keeps telling us, but apart from me, you can do nothing, no fruit. And it's emphasized in the most graphic way, using the analogy of the vine to say what happens when there is no life, no fruitfulness, they dry, they wither, they're gathered up and they're burned. The absolute uselessness if we do not abide in him. And that's why Calvin says, we by nature are dry and barren. We by nature have no fruitfulness whatsoever. And it is only as we join ourselves to Christ that we begin to have life at all. No matter what else we may do in life, no matter what our accomplishments in life, ultimately we are viewed as a dry and barren stick to be gathered up that has no life in itself unless we are united to Christ. And so this word abide above all in this first section means depend, 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 depend upon Him. Have a tremendous sense of your own helplessness, your own natural barrenness. When I get up in the morning, the very first thing I reach for very first thing, since I have from the fourth grade, are my glasses. You know, I just, there's no sense in getting up and doing anything. Don't go in the kitchen, you know, don't look in the mirror, because what will I see but a blur, you know. Don't try to read something, or I would be just like this. Uh, we kid how I can, because I'm so nearsighted, I can look at a magazine up close, and I see the dots of paint, you know, that form the letters because of my microscopic vision that can't see any further than this, but it sees up close. But that's the thing I reach for is my glasses every single day, and I've wondered what it would it be like to have LASIK sur surgery and just open your eyes and you can see. Usually when that happens, I've gone to sleep and my eyes are pasted shut with my contacts, you know, and I'm recovering for the next hour because of that. Well, we need that sense. We need that constant sense when we first open our eyes in the morning. I am fruitless apart from Christ today. I can do nothing, he says in verse 5. 
Not one good thing. Not one thing that has the character of Christ, that has the savor, flavor of Jesus Christ, of true life. I am dead apart from Him. Now, praise His name because you belong to Him. You don't wake up dead. You wake up alive. You wake up united to Christ. But the word is continually abide. Continually manifest your faith in Christ. Continually rest in Him. And this means several things. It means trust Him for satisfaction in life. And that's where many of us do not abide in Him and do not trust Him. That satisfaction and fulfillment and the deepest enrichment as a human being will come only in union with Jesus Christ. Only as I put my life completely and and continually in His hands to think the things He tells me to think, to say the things He tells me to say, to do the things He tells me to do, to feel the things He tells me to feel, all of which I cannot do apart from Him. But to trust Him that all of the temptations for happiness, all the temptations, and we're inundated with lusts and pleasure and promises for all around us, that no, I will abide in Him and trust in Him for satisfaction in life. To abide in Him means that I trust Him for protection of my life, no matter what dangers come my way, no matter what upheavals are in my life, no matter what pressures, disasters, trials that I engage in, even in that circumstance, abide in me, rest in me, put your dependence upon me that I am caring for you in this circumstance. I love you. I see your need. I will meet your need. I am overseeing this circumstance to bring about good. Abide in me, rest in me. It means to abide in Him when you fail, when you sin, when you're struck with how far from Him you are, how little you are like Him. You're devastated with the evil of your heart. Well, that's not a time to push away and say, oh, He won't receive me or He doesn't like me or how can He love me when I'm this way? He says in that circumstance, abide in me, rest in me. Don't push away from me of all times. Come to me, find life of forgiveness, find the sweetness of my smile that will forgive your sin and so bring about change in your life that you can walk free more and more of that sin. Abide in me even in failure. Abide in me for change in your life. And so many times we are faced with certain areas of our life that just seem like there's no way this is going to be any different than it ever has been. I've been struggling with this for years. Abide in me. Trust Him. Give yourself to His Word and to His worship and to prayer and to fellowship with God's people. And we'll talk more about this in coming, but simply that you will trust Him for change. 
And finally, I just want to mention this. Trust Him in obedience. One of the central aspects of abiding, the one that really comes to the forefront in this passage, is verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. And if you back up a few chapters with me to John chapter 8, that's page uh, 1078 if you're in the the blue book. (laughs) No, it's not. That's my own Bible, sorry. (laughs) What was it? 896, thank you. Or 894, exactly. Okay, verse 31, sorry. Notice here again the same word of abiding. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We see that same terminology of if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and you will bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples in John 15. So very similar terminology. Also, not only that the parallel passage in John 8 doesn't say abide in me, but abide in my words. Secondly, in this passage, it says in one place, if you abide in me and I in you. And then in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. There are two comparisons to show the prominence of his word. But then, as well as you proceed in uh, John 15, he says, Abide in my love, verse 9, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So abiding in his love has to do with abiding or keeping his commandments. So over and over again, abiding is connected with his words remaining in you, you remaining in his words. You see, there's a trust factor, a dependence factor, that there is no other pathway except His Word for life and fruitfulness. And as he says in verse 11, for fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. It's it's like a, a pathway, if you can imagine, that's carved out in a bog. And this bog is full of poisonous snakes. And any other direction that you go lands you in this slimy, stinking bog. And on the road itself are fruits and nuts and and all kind of trees to replenish you as you go. There's a picture that the Bible paints of the walk with God. Not that it's going to be easy because this way can be very steep and it can be so hard and difficult as you climbing the rocks of his path that you seem like you can't even get to the next level. You know, it's so difficult. And, and every fiber of your being is straining to get to the next place and to grow in more love and holiness. I'm not saying that it's an easy way, but I'm saying that the way of blessedness, the way of fullness of joy, the way of enrichment, of being like Christ and fellowshipping more and more with him and having the satisfaction of becoming more like Christ and seeing your life give itself away to other people. That's what's painted in the Scriptures. So to abide in Him means you must be helplessly depending upon His Word for everything that you do. A vital relationship to His Word. If you abide in Me and My words remain in you. It's interesting when Jesus is painting the 
picture with the parable of the sower and the seed. And he paints the picture of four different soils. The first soil is hardened path, seed lands on it, birds take it away. That's a picture of Satan taking the seed away before it even has a, a start in someone's life. But then interestingly, two other, path, uh, two other places where it falls. One is where there's a rocky shelf and the seed falls, and at first it springs forth. And Jesus says it looks like they're, they're going to spring forth with joy, and, and they receive it with great enthusiasm. But because there's no depth there, it can't go down and get the water. So the sun comes up, and it scorches it. And he says the sun is trials. So that it, it's shown that that word has a certain place, but in the end, Jesus and his word are not valuable enough. And Trials drive us away from that word, and we don't want to serve him and give ourselves to him uh, because it costs too much. And then a third ground is thorns, and the thorns grow up. You can't see them at first, but they grow up and they choke out the word. And that's the sign of the cares of this world and pleasures that squeeze the word out. And it even says the cares of this world. Not just specific pleasures, but just being so busy you never, the word has no place in your life. That really can get to a lot of us. So I'm not antagonistic against the word and I'm not exceedingly licentious in my life. It's just that you regularly, constantly neglect his word. You see, his word has to abide in you. That means there's some kind of dealing with it from hearing it, reading it, studying it, meditating on it, discussing it with other people, that His Word has a place that's influencing your thinking and it's starting to push other things out. As Paul says in Colossians 3, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let it spread out. Let its greenness cover the desert of your life and your thinking and your feeling and begin to literally influence you in the way you do your, what you do. That's the way we bear fruit. He says, in this way, as you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And obviously, that's when your prayers will be answered because most of your prayers become what? A fragment of his word, an a flavor of His Word, an aroma of His Word that's beginning to fill your life. And so the very desires that spill out before God are the desires of His heart because His Word has begun to form you and shape you and bring that kind of richness into your life. The fourth soil, it says in Luke, that they hold fast the Word and continue in it. Hold fast the word. They take it. They believe it. It becomes their life. Now, I'm not here to put you on a guilt trip about, you know, better read five minutes every day or ten minutes every day. I'm just saying in general, I don't know any way around this passage than the way, the primary way, a primary way that you abide and rest in him and show that you're utterly dependent upon him is that you're utterly dependent upon His Word. And you, you take it as, the, uh, as, as Moses says in Deuteronomy 32, 47. He said, this is not a casual word to you. Let me read it verbatim. 
Deuteronomy 32.47. This is no empty word to you. And some of you will hear this today, and it'll be an empty word to you. And a week from now, or two weeks, or a month, or three months from now, you've not had any changes in regard to your relationship to God's Word. Because it's an empty word. But he says in Deuteronomy 32, 47, this is no empty word for you. It is your very life. Now, if you believe that Christ is your very life and that Christ is conveyed in the word, then you will have a vital relationship with that word. And his words, words, plural, will remain in you. And you will bear much fruit because you begin to take on the very character of this glorious good word. So, the word and dependent, or, or abiding and dependence. But then abiding and love. Now this is fascinating as to the interworking of love and abiding in this passage. And so I want you to look at it with me. And if you if you don't have a Bible open, I, I think it would be really good to open a Bible and look at this uh, as and and again, if you don't have your own Bible, uh, we are looking page 8, no, 901, 901 and 902. I should keep this out so I won't. Now, look, at, look how this is constructed in verse 9. We've already talked about, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. I'm conveying to you the love of the Father. Then he says, abide in my love. So before it's abide in me, now abide in my love. But then he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now, at first, this can be a bit scary because we think, you mean... Only if I keep doing the right things will He keep loving me. It has that kind of fear about it. Uh, keep doing the right thing and I might keep loving you. But if you don't, then it's off. You know, that, it, it almost feels that way. But notice, to abide in my love is to keep my commandments. Now, first of all, it shows that through the forgiveness of Christ and the revelation of God's love, we see His commandments in a totally different way. We see His commandments now as the way in which His precious will is given to us. In fact, everything that He says to us is out of His love for us. It's out of His desire for our good. It's out of his desire for us to stay on the path, you know, and to drink and eat of the fruits of doing his will. So, as we've said before, and we dealt with this passage almost uh, two years ago, but it's like putting yourself under a doctor's care. You're, You're putting yourself under the care of the Lord Jesus 
and His commandments. And you're saying that I will stay in this protected, glorious obedience of Christ. I will stay in the fortress of His love and His commands and His care for me because His care and love to me comes to me in the way of these commandments. And so I put myself under the care of His love. What a wonderful way to look at the commands of God as a way of abiding in the love that He has for you already in Christ Jesus. And of course, by giving yourself to those commands, you continue to remain in and enjoy the provision of His love. If you push away from those commands and turn your back on those commands, there's only the swamp with the poison snakes. There's only being outside the care and the prescriptions of His commandments and His love to you. Now, here's another aspect of this, too. He says, if you keep my commandments. But then, look in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another as I have loved you. So all of his commandments really boil down to this one commandment. It's love. Supremely set before us by Christ himself. And he alludes to his own uh, death in verse 13. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. By the way, I think it's uh, Calvin says, How can he say that he laid down his life for his friends when we were his enemies when he died for us? And he says... This maybe has the flavor of the fact that He loved us from eternity. And though we were His enemies in one sense, His everlasting love was even upon us as He died for us. And so He could say He laid down His life for His friends in in the fact that He loved us even then. So you see then that keeping His commandment is simply walking in love. So, here's the beautiful picture. I keep myself under His loving prescriptions by myself giving myself to love as He has loved me. So, I enjoy and taste His love. I give myself to to love knowing that not only will I walk in love and manifest that love, but I do it because I know this is the way of my own enrichment. It's the way of my own fulfillment and satisfaction and completeness as a human being. This is the way I abide in His care by myself, loving as He has loved me. And it may be that He, as you see this whole passage, abide in my love. What is my love? My love is that that lay down my life for my friends. So abide in my example of love. Enjoy and delight in my love. Walk in love yourself. And see, right in the midst of this, verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So that this this love that He calls us to 
brings about this greatest, most full joy. And it seems to me, as I've studied this passage over and over, that when he says, abide in me and you will produce much fruit, the one fruit that's really spoken of is joy. And it seems like joy is a a, a catch-all word for every aspect of fullness of life. Contentment and peace, enrichment, a satisfaction as a human being, and of course, the manifestation of the character of love. But it's really as... It might look like, well, love is the fruit or character is the fruit, but love is the call to abide. Abide in my love. That is, give yourself to love and so put yourself under the care of my love and what will be the rich fruit in your life? My joy, the joy that I myself have as the one who laid down my life for others, you will begin to know that joy and your joy will be full. Isn't it amazing that human fulfillment is simply being like God? But here's the catch. What is it to be like God? You sacrifice everything for those whom you love. That's what it's like to be like God. You're divine. You don't count it as a thing to be grasped that you're equal with God. And so you pour yourself out and you become a servant even to the point of obedience on the cross and you die a bloody death. And Paul says, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. So you see, love and joy walk along this kind of narrow path, discovering what it means to lay down my life for others. And in that same act, I am putting myself in the hands of God who will care for me and protect me and enrich my life. One commentator says, in this gospel, we have the heart of Christ as it were opened in the gospel so that his love is not doubtful. And when I was a singles pastor in Dallas, I had to talk to single men a lot about how you should deal with a woman. And some men were like I was when I was, uh, I must have been 11 or 12 or maybe 13 years old when uh, this girl named Jan that lived across the street, I was down in their basement with several other friends and right in front of everybody I said to Jan, Jan, would, would you like me if I liked you like that. And of course, I was wanting to get some testimony on her. I wanted her to come out in the open so I could shoot her down. You know, uh, do you like me first? Or, or many of these guys were waiting for the right indicators from her before they took that step. And we talked about how if you picture you in this side of the field and her in this side of the field, you've got to walk out of the field first, out of the woods first, and stand in the field and be willing to be shot down, you know. But you have to make known your feelings to her. You have to bear your heart to her and let her know how you feel. And who knows what will happen, but that's the man thing to do, to go out there. And you think of a man asking a woman, 
He's not sure what she thinks of him. It's really not. But he can't help it. He's completely gone. He can't get her off his mind. His emotions are raging. His whole being is caught up in hoping that she will feel something of what he feels for her. And he pictures their future together. And he imagines what it would be like to have her with him every day. And so in the middle of a dinner date, he says, Mary Alice, I've tried to resist this, but I can't. I, I don't know how you feel about me, but I love you. I've loved you quietly for several years, but I've never asked you out. Finally, I began asking you, I I want to marry you. I want to be with you for the rest of my life. Will you be my wife? And of course, if you're around, you kind of wonder, is he going to be shot down? What's she going to say? I mean, he's put his whole heart out there before. But that's what Christ does. How could he? How could Christ come out and say, I've loved you from eternity. Or how could Christ say to anyone on the earth, I've laid down my life for you and I want you to be mine. Will you entrust your whole life to me? How how could he come out in the open like that? He's not obscure. The gospel has Christ's heart in it. I've laid down my life Not just a little love, but the greatest love of laying down my life to prove that if you abide in me and entrust yourself to me and all of my commands, it will simply be this, abiding in my love, abiding in my love. That's what it's like to obey one who has died for you. Just abiding in his love and his care. And so when the Lord offers us the good news... He's like this guy at the table. He wants you. He really wants you. He wants to have you. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to bring richness and goodness into your life as you put yourself under His care and His obedience. He shows His cross and He calls us to abide in Him. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us that we could trust anything on earth besides you. Forgive us that we trust so many things. And that, Lord, so often we push you away. We pray that you would forgive us that when we fail, that we can doubt your love. And we can trust in all kind of things to try to satisfy us and try to assuage our guilt, to try to make us feel better, to try to do better somehow before we ever come to you instead of simply abiding and trusting in Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that abiding you in you means abiding in your love and that every word you give to us is a command, but it's as well a promise, a promise of goodness, a promise of your care. And even if we're martyred for your sake, even if we lose everything for your sake, our lives will be enriched and we will know the fullness of joy, the joy that Christ Himself has, the joy that God the Father has in loving us in this way. Oh, Lord, may we believe that joy is to be had in giving ourselves completely to your will. And we confess our weakness. 
We confess our helplessness. We confess, Lord, that apart from your grace, we won't abide. But we thank you that you've chosen us and appointed us, even as the disciples, that we should go and bear much fruit. In that we trust, Lord, your sovereign salvation. We pray this for the sake of Jesus. Amen.